I gotta do, I gotta try to do whatever I can to thank people for making time, you know? Yeah, great. Thanks for having me. I've always been a fan of the stuff you do, so. And thanks for coming on our show sometimes, too. Absolutely. Cheers, man. All right, I guess we just get rolling here. Recording, recording. Oh, everything's recording. So Chad Withrow, Outkick 360. You know, obviously this is a football podcast, but whenever I get someone in here, I like to also talk a little business. Mm -hmm. been in the radio game, the sports game for a long time. So I wanted to ask you a couple questions about that. Could you, because Midday 180, that's what you were with forever. And I would imagine anybody in the radio game, had they had the job you had, that had to have been like a dream job, right? Because not only was it, this is Nashville, this is, we've got pro sports, huge in SEC football, many other things. And correct me if I'm wrong, with Midday 180, you guys were like literally number one or number two in the ratings for the markets. Um, I mean, that's, could you ever imagine five, ten years ago, not only having that job, but then saying, we're going to leave it for, for kind of like a new uh, format? No. I mean, the answer would be no, imagine leaving it at any point. You know, it's crazy in the radio business because typically you don't get a third contract, you know, much less a fourth we had the opportunity for our fourth contract with with uh, with 104.5 The Zone, and we decided to, to move on at that point. But backing up a little bit, I, I went to college and studied sports business at, at Tennessee, and I thought I wanted to work in a front office. So I wanted to be in sports, didn't know I wanted to do anything with broadcasting or media or covering teams or any of that. I just knew I wanted to be around sports. Grew up like everyone else, you know, watching Sports Center five times a day, the rerun that was the same every morning. Yeah. So I could sort of fake it till I made it. I was, I'm always been pretty good at, uh, I guess, acting, you know, at times. I could do the impression of what a sportscaster should sound like, but never took any formal classes in broadcasting or anything. Had a job fall through with the Houston Astros coming out of college. Ended up through a family friend meeting George Plaster. George Plaster got me on as his executive producer, first an internship then executive producer, didn't do on anything on air until probably my second year at the station when I hosted a high school football show. But it, it's weird because we, you know, we have a lot of people who come through and produce for us or do different things, and most of them want to eventually be on air. They want to be on camera. They want to be on mic in some way. I was never that way. I was sort of feeling it out as I went. I was just happy to get a job making $28,000 a year when I got out of college. I thought that was a big deal. Yeah. So just starting out doing that, helping the show – uh, the fact that I didn't have an agenda, I think, really helped me early on because most people are just, I got to get on air quick. I got to get on air quick. I was naturally pretty good at it. So when they put me on as a reporter, it, it went well. And then as I got my own show, that was fine. Then I started doing a six o'clock hour with, with Willie Donick and with, with Darren McFarland at the time. And so it sort of took off from there. So when everything split, I was already hosting a 6 p.m. show. Um, when George and Willie took off, they were looking for a midday show. It ended up working out with me and Hutton. We had a great relationship before. I really had just met Paul a few times before, had really no relationship with him. But the chemistry hit immediately. We sort of all knew exactly what we were doing on the show pretty early. And I think the audience responded to it. Look, I love doing that show. I, I could have done that until I retired. 
right? And I, I would have been perfectly happy. It was it was fun. You got to connect with a local market. That station has a huge audience. That part of it was great, but I'd reached a point in my life, you know, I'm turning 40, I'm right around that spot, and I'm thinking, I really want to bust it for about 12 to 15 years, right? Mm -hmm. I'm being realistic. When I get to be 55, I'm still going to be working. I'm not going to have enough money to retire, but I'm probably going to be more on the downside of what I'm doing work-wise. So I really want to bust it and try to grow and do as much as possible for the next 15 years. And OutKick and Clay gave us that opportunity, and we've kind of taken it and, and run with it since. But to go back to the original question, no, I never thought I'd be in a position to have a show that was that successful, and I especially never thought that I would have a, be in a position to leave that show that was very successful. Now, wh why is it, though, that you say that you're about to get your fourth contract and a lot of people don't get that? Is that because people coming up, like you, like you just alluded to, you you work so cheaply, and then you when you when you put in that time, when the show grows, you want to get uh, compensation, and then the station says, well, hell, we can get someone that much, much cheaper to do a not as good a job, but similar enough that it, that it won't affect our bottom line. Is is that kind of the ethos? Mike, you know that? the business. You, yeah. you know the business well. Uh, <laughs> yes, that's part of it. I think twofold. One, wherever you are in media, the assumption usually is you're going to have to leave to go make it bigger somewhere else. So if you're really good and you do a good job networking and getting yourself opportunities, you're going to take off for Chicago or New York or Boston or Miami or wherever it is you want to go that's a bigger market next. So those that are good and have opportunity tend to leave and bounce around. They may go into television. They may go digital but do it somewhere else. That happens. The other thing is just what you said. The show isn't immediately successful. Program directors get impatient with a show that's not immediately successful. Uh, and or you want to raise and you're not getting the money you need. You may start a family during that time. Things may change for your circumstances and you're just not getting the money that you need in that business. And you decide, hey, I'm going to go sell real estate or I'm going to go sell insurance or start a business or do something else. You know, we've seen examples of that here locally. The guys with the A to Z sports, mm -hmm. I think, are a good example. You know, their show didn't take off with a huge audience uh, on the, the on 102.5 The Game. They end up moving on, but they didn't give up. They started something on their own, and I would I would bet that they're way more successful now financially than they would have been working in local radio. So there's plenty of examples of people moving on. It's just I think the zone's a little bit different in that a lot of shows there will have success because of the built-in audience. Right. Um, not to say that our show wasn't good or you know anyone would have succeeded. We did well with the audience and grew it, but I think it is a place where – you can start making pretty good money and then you're going to want to stay forever because it's a really good job. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's if working in local radio and having that connection with that local audience is a truly wonderful gig. So I say that we had the fourth contract opportunity and most don't in large part because we were at a really good station that had a, a really good audience. But most people either move on or decide, hey, I'm not making enough money to continue doing this. Well, now that you've kind of been on both sides of it, so to speak, you know, for people coming up, you know, what advice would you give them? Should they go the the more traditional radio route? Should they kind of go independent like I am? I don't know how in the hell I make money off it. <laughs> you know, well, so. look, I think I think yours is a. I think you could probably do a better job um, giving advice to people coming out of college now yeah. than I could because when I came out of college in two thousand four, th that was the option, right? You went right. to a local paper, mm -hmm. you went to a radio station, you went to a local TV affiliate. If you wanted to work in media. 
you did one of those things. There were websites, you know, but it was more, it was a little bit more new right. back then with websites. So you could go try to work for a website. Now I think the key is the ability to do everything, whether it be on camera, whether it be writing, whether it be hosting a podcast or hosting a radio show, the ability to be flexible is now the most important thing. The advice I would give anyone that wants to get in this business is make sure you're doing a good job and care about doing a good job, whatever that job is. More than likely, where you start is not where you're going to finish. So if you start out as a producer or an engineer, a tech person for a show, a streaming engineer, a reporter, a sideline reporter, a color analyst, and you want to be play-by-play, whatever it is that you start out, just make sure that you're present in that job and doing the best you can and showing everyone you're doing the best job you can. And more than anything else, the people that have worked for us over the years, I truly value those that you can tell they care about doing a good job. They care about the show they're being a part of being good, right. being quality. That's key. I think that's key in everything because if you can do the jobs that most would say are more menial well, you're going to do the jobs that, mo- that most people strive to get, whether it be on camera, on mic, whatever. You're going to do that really well yeah. if you can start out doing those things well. So I think your plan is a good you know, model of that, but it really is about doing everything. When we left for OutKick, the biggest thing that we wanted to do was we want to be everywhere. Now, we weren't getting the digital streaming video options that we wanted at a local radio station. We weren't getting the podcast availability we wanted. We weren't monetizing podcasts the way we wanted based on the fact that our podcasts were through the roof compared to the rest of the station. So we wanted the ability to do a little bit of everything, do some TV if that popped up also. And OutKick has given us that chance. I don't want to get you in any trouble or anything, but... Please, feel free. I love when people try to get me in trouble. (laughs) Was there any consideration to... um, I don't know if you follow like... uh, Jim Dunaway and them, the Next Round mm-hmm. Live, they, they have a very similar thing, but they're in Alabama. They do a great job. And they were on, I think, like the number one station in Alabama. Yep. You know, it was very similar. And then they broke apart. And instead of, you know, I know Clay does their show all the time. He, he's not associated with that. They just started their own. Was there any consideration for the, the, the midday trio to, to kind of do your own thing? So two things. And I don't think I'm giving away any secret info here, but maybe I am. Uh, Clay and Outkick actually talked to those guys about joining and doing what we're doing as well. Uh, and that was a, a possibility. I think with Lance and Jim and, and Ryan and those guys, the key thing with them was they're very good at what they do, first and foremost. Yeah. And WJOX and Ryan Haney there are terrific. They do a great job. That's, along with The Zone, one of the powerhouse Southern sports talk stations. They're, mm-hmm. they're terrific. So that was a difficult decision for them to leave. But Lance Taylor, who's a good buddy of mine, he started out in sales. You know, talking about doing a good job wherever you are, he wanted to get on air, but he had to sell his way on air. So he had so many sponsors, he started hosting a show, that grew into this. He's done very well. I think part of the issue was they have so many clients through Lance, they wanted to keep those clients together. And in in doing that, they needed to stay a little bit more local. So they went with the next round live, and, uh, and, you know, it went very well. Yes, we gave consideration of that. You know, we, we told um, Cumulus throughout, like, look, we're, we're going to have other options. Right. And one of those options is always going to be, can we make this work on our own? <clears throat> you know, we have business relationships. We have people we can go to and, and try to make it happen on our own. I think at the end of the day, when you really evaluate that, though, um, 
we knew how much work that was going to entail and how much that would take away from our abilities at times to be mm-hmm. really good at what our main job is, yeah. which is hosting a show for three or four hours a day. So when you start to put the infrastructure in, I mean, those guys, they have like four or five, six employees, mm-hmm. right, with benefits and everything else. You're starting your own corporation, your own business when you do that. Yep. So I think when we weighed both and saw the some of the financial opportunities with OutKick, we said, this is the way to go. They have a much bigger megaphone, especially once Fox purchased OutKick. So let's do this. But I think in the back of my mind, I'm, I'm always thinking – you know, could could I go about doing something like what you're doing or A to Z Sports or Next Round Live in Birmingham? And the answer is yes. I think that's always a possibility. It's just getting to that point where you really want to make your own sole proprietorship work to that level <laughs> because I would not be able to do it all on my own. Hutton wouldn't be able to do it all, all on his own. We'd have to hire employees to do that. So when do we want to take the step doing that? I think we're probably a little ways off from that, but based on the way things are going well right now without kick. Right, right. And there's never any kind of, um, I, I would imagine, fear of like being canceled or anything for. That's the only thing with with working with someone like without kick, and it's not specific to them, but like, you know, at all these other places, you can be canceled too. But I, you're in a, a, a somewhat of a unique position working for Clay Travis brand, where yeah. if he gets canceled that could affect your bottom line does does that ever come into the to the picture i think clay is uncancelable right i I really do uh i i am not uncancelable right (laughs) like i fully acknowledge that you know uh the 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 maz show the show up in boston i don't know if you saw the story with that but you know a guy said something really dumb on air about two black men that were behind the shot of his co-host and he said something about you know, uh, guys like that robbed your car, you know, recently or stole something from your house or something along those lines. Just really, really insensitive and dumb. Yeah. A dumb thing to say, and they all kind of laughed about it. Well, he had to have a tearful apology the next day. I think he's serving a suspension. And I see things like that. And, it, you know, if if we were to say, first off, we're not that stupid. Right. But if we were to say something dumb to that level that was really racially insensitive or anything along those lines... I mean, we could get canceled too, right? I think what OutKick offers is whatever the extreme view is in terms of the current media, you know, talking points. Right. So, like, we can't talk about, you know, Leah Thomas shouldn't be swimming against men or whatever. Just avoid it, right? If it's uncomfortable or it may go against uh, the mob, avoid it. We don't have to avoid it. So we can talk about those things. I can approach things from a common sense standpoint. I've never been told what viewpoint to have or what to say. Uh, but we can hit the stories that no one else will hit because of the freedom that Fox and OutKick and Clay offers us. Now, if I go on and say something awful, you know, and just do something stupid, if I go on a, a Kanye West-type rant about something, I could get fired too, right? Anyone could. Right. But I think where Clay was really smart is that he went about, when he was in charge of hiring everyone, he wanted to hire people he knew wouldn't do anything too dumb. Right, right. It's smart, original, funny. I think are the three things that Clay <laughs> always talks about being. But the biggest part of that is smart. So you got to know when a mic's on, what you can and can't say, and don't be stupid. And that's the case at OutKick as, as well as anyone else. But the difference is we can talk about things no one else will talk about. Yeah, and I noticed that. And it seems like, you know, I got to commend you that when you do touch on those topics, like one that I recently saw was there was – 
I don't know the backstory, so I don't know any of the names. So pardon my ignorance, but yeah. there was some hockey player that like wouldn't wear the gay pride thing, and I was like, and, and I saw you put out a video of, of like a clip of you talking about it, and and first of all, I was like, why is this? Why is it? Why are they talking about gay hockey? All yeah, this? I was yeah. like, and I was like, but I'm gonna give it a chance because I respect the job you do, and I, I know you're not gonna just yell and scream, but I bet a lot of people probably have preconceived notions that don't, didn't even check out the clip and the kind of the points you were making i believe was you know the manager didn't care the teammates didn't care and basically the bottom line was like the media is blowing this up as how this guy needs to be suspended when no one within the organization seems to think this guy needs to be suspended and and i i just appreciate the fact that uh you know that's not a topic that i would ever discuss yeah first of all because it's like hockey and, and second of all i just i just don't want to like offend anybody you know, but at the same time, like you tackle it in such a way that it's like it's common sense. You're using intelligence. You're not like berating gay people right. or, or gay pride and, and or I think anything. First off, I can't talk hockey either. So uh, <laughs> I, this had nothing. This story had nothing to do with hockey. If you ask me about, you know, the third line of the Philadelphia Flyers, right. I would know. But Ivan Provorov is the the player. You know, who 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 basically he he took a religious stance on i'm not going to go out there in the pre-skate warm-up and wear the rainbow right. gay pride uniform because it's against you know my religion i don't want to do it and, and I, I think the the mistake that media makes is well then you're spreading hate right then you hate you don't respect the human being that's gay right. and that's just not true right if he went out and said something uh awful about gay people and what should happen to all gay people, that's very different than saying, I'm a Christian, my religion does not condone this lifestyle, but I pray for them and hope they change. You can do that with your religious freedom, right? But what we do is we misconstrue these things and turn it into, well, he hates all gay people. or you know, If he's got a history of going to gay bars and, and beating up people, well, that's a problem. Right. You know, That's something that should be covered and he should be in jail. There are laws in our society that prevent people from doing that. But if you don't want to wear a jersey for whatever reason, because the NHL has decided to take a stance on something that you don't agree with, that's your prerogative. And I don't think it's fair to crush someone for exhibiting their right to not do that, right? Just like if there was a right-leaning cause, you know, that someone didn't want to wear the jersey of or whatever it may be, they'd probably be uh, deified by media in a lot of ways so I, I just don't think you can have it both ways right yeah so really i just watched that clip just because it was it's something like a subject matter that that i and and a, and a topic that i don't wade into but i like to see people that do tackle it because i respect your work and see how are they going to talk about because it's something that i that i learned from yeah. and i think that's important that we all well and I, I'm, I'm glad you did that and you're making a good point about you know it's not something i'd normally be interested in but i gave it a shot Right. I think we all should be more like that, right? Because we fall into this, oh, this is a video about this. I don't want to see it. Right. You know, it's not a topic I care about or I, it's going to be too far right for me or it's going to be too far left for me. Right. So I'm not going to watch it. And I think, well, did you see the video? You know, I get a lot of responses. Oh, of course, OutKick is talking about this. And I'm right, thinking, right. well, yeah, because we want to talk about all the stories on, on OutKick 360. I, I speak specifically for our show and we want to talk about everything. If other people refuse to talk about it, well, we want to get into, well, why are they not talking about it? What's our legitimate, genuine opinion on it? And let's talk it out and discuss it. And, and people may watch that and completely disagree with me. I didn't get a lot of disagreement with people that watch the video for the most part, but they can, and that's fine, right? But let's give it a shot. 
Right. I, I want to hear people out. I, I say all the time, you know, people will say, well, at OutKick, you're only going to have, you know, this type of person on or this Republican, you know, lawmaker. And I'm thinking, look, on OutKick 360, if AOC wants to join us to talk about NIL, we're happy to do it. If there's a sports tie-in mm-hmm. and a politician wants to join our show, we are gl- happy to do it. I am open to anyone, left-leaning Democrat, right-leaning Republican, we'll have the conversation and talk about it. I'm not shut out to anything or anyone or any topic. Yeah. And I, I want I want to always be that way. But I'm glad you gave it a shot, and I, I hope more people do the same. And, and this is a stupid example probably, but like uh, a couple of years ago they came out with a, a Spider-Man movie. It was called Into, like Spider-Man Into the Multiverse or whatever, yeah. and, it, and it had like this uh, uh, black Spider-Man. And I was like, initially I was like, okay, this is Disney kind of wokeish, yep. whatever. But I heard it was a great movie. And the same thing, I was like, you got to be open-minded. I hear this is a great movie. I love Spider-Man. It's the best damn Spider-Man I've yeah. ever seen. You've got, you have to give things a chance. You can't judge it without viewing it. Otherwise, I think you're right. I think we all do that way, way, way too much. Well, my thing with entertainment like that is, was it forced or not? Right. So, um, you know, if I feel like I'm being there's an agenda being forced and it doesn't work with the plot or the story, mm-hmm. that's where I sign off on it. But just, you know, having a black Spider-Man on its face, that doesn't bother me. So I'd give it a shot. But if I feel like it's something being forced in the plot, I wouldn't like it. Yeah. There's a lot of talk now about um, the next James Bond, you know, and there's some talk about uh, uh, British Indian actor Dev Patel is up. Idris Elba has been up for it. Could be the first ever black James Bond. I'm cool with that. My whole thing is, well, does it make sense for the character? Will this be a good James Bond? I'm not looking at the race, and I'm not even thinking it from the perspective of, well, I'm not going to watch this because it's woke. (laughs) I don't think they're trying to force it, because I think Idris Elba fits the spirit of Bond, right? He's British. He's a suave guy. He's a good-looking guy. It would work. You know, if I think it's being forced, same for Patel as an actor. If I think it's being forced then I'm less likely, you know, to, to check it out. But if it's not, I'm willing to give it a shot. Yeah. Well, I don't know how to turn the conversation, but back to... From Spider-Man and James <laughs> Bond back to SEC football. Yeah, back to, you know, your role with OutKick. I know you've got to, you, what was it called, OutKick the tour or, or, or the tailgate. Yep. You get to go around touring uh, not just SEC, but a lot of other uh, schools. I mean, was that, that's not something you got to do with mid midday or anything, was it? No, not at all. Uh, that that was really cool right out of the gates. Um, you know, we uh, and it was just SEC schools that we went to that, oh, okay. that year, so it was all all South. And I got to go to a few places I had not been in the SEC. I'd never been to Gainesville. Um, you know, it was it was really cool to see some different places. I've been to Auburn for basketball camp as a kid, but had never been to a, a game day at, at Auburn. So that was a lot of fun. And I think that just goes back to opportunity. You know, we're just, we're playing in a different playground now more yeah. than anything else. 104.5 The Zone gave us a ton of opportunities. I mean, don't get me wrong. We, we went to Super Bowls year after year. We went to Combines. We, we traveled and went some really cool places. Went to the Pro Football Hall of Fame for an induction one year. We got to do a lot of really cool things. They gave us opportunity. But once you start doing, I, I look at our show as more regional to national. You know, we want to go SEC, Southern-focused out. We are a national show. But we also feel like if you're talking SEC and Big Ten and middle of America, you're talking to the heart of sports yeah. in our country. And it doesn't always have to be New York or L.A. based. Outkick the tailgated SEC campuses gave us that opportunity to showcase some of that. 
what we're doing now with the show gives us that opportunity. When we go to the Super Bowl now, we have a better setup in a bigger area for us because we are a national show. You know, and we're, we're attached with the Fox Sports Radio setup behind us. So all of that, again, it's not, you know, I, I don't want to look at it in terms of better. It's just bigger. And I think the playground is bigger and the resources we have are more. And that only helps us in, in what we're trying to do. It's different. You know, we're not talking Vols, Titans, Preds right. every day. We're not talking strictly SEC, even though our show leans heavy SEC. It's a national show. So that's taken some getting used to, but we love it, you know, because that also opens up our horizons to a lot of different things. What, what was the, your, the best uh, experience or campus or, or just anything during that tour for you? Well, we were at the game where A&M beat Bama on the, on the oh, yeah. kick, and I was on the sideline with Billy Lucci and Johnny Manziel. Oh, so it's, it's tough to beat that. Yeah. Uh, what was funny was Billy Hutton went down the sideline for the second or third quarter. Uh-huh. He convinced me. I was like, I don't have to use the pass. Don't worry about it. He's like, no, you need to go down there. So fourth quarter, I go down there. The comeback's happening. A&M's driving, going right into the side of the, the – we're on the sideline of the end zone where he kicks the field goal. Uh-huh. And with probably two and a half, three minutes left, Billy, who's the nicest guy in the world, TexAgs.com, yeah. buddies of mine, buddies of ours, walks me over to Johnny Manziel and says, hey, Johnny, there's a guy I want you to meet. This is uh, Chad Withrow with OutKick. And you could tell Manziel was thinking, I do not want to talk to someone right now. <laughs> and I'm thinking, this is the most awkward time to meet someone. Team is driving to beat number one Alabama. And I just give him a quick handshake. Like, hey, man, I'm not trying to. He's like, I'm going to just kind of check this out. I'm like, don't worry about it. Yeah, not yeah. trying to have a conversation <laughs> with you. I'm doing the same thing. Back away. Watch the kick go through. Got the cell phone out. People nice. are storming the field. Yeah. That was really neat. We did the midnight yell practice the night before. I mean, A&M is so different from every other SEC place that I've been. I mean, you feel like you're on a different planet. Yeah. It is very much its own cult there at Texas A&M. So um, I don't know that it's better or worse than anything in the SEC. It's just very different yeah. from everywhere else I've been in the SEC. So that was definitely the most memorable moment. Which was also aided by the fact that I talked to you know Johnny Football right before A <laughs> and M hit the kick to win the game. You need to do me a favor and, and uh, vouch for me with Billy because I think I'm on his shit list just just for all really? the ba- all the bad things I said about Jimbo, which I th- I feel are all warranted. Have you gotten into it with Billy on Twitter at all over Jimbo or no? No, because I respect him. I, I'm not. Yeah, yeah. I, I I don't try to burn any bridges. Billy's great. I mean, he yeah, is. I think so too. I've he's going to come that. to town for SEC media days okay. and all, but based on what he did for us, uh-huh. we went to the Aggie club or the Texas A&M country club or golf. I don't know the name, but essentially he got us into this place the night before for dinner and drinks. That was every big Aggie booster you could imagine. Oh, wow. Was there, they have a concert. It's at a country. So club that's atmosphere. high dollar people up there. Exclusive. Yeah. So he got us in there. He got us on the sideline. We went to the Texas tailgate at one point. He got us set up in his parking lot wow. to do our show of his uh, venue. So he's been great. I say all that to say now I'm very nervous about when he comes to Nashville, what he's expecting us to do for him. Because I told him we had him on last week, and I said, man, I, we cannot deliver to the level you can deliver in College Station here in Nashville. But we're going to do our best. But when I talk to him, I'll put in a good word for okay, you to make sure he I goes appreciate on, your, it. on your show. He's, he's really good when he knows people. Yeah. about doing it he's always great when he comes on and he gives you he's a been very, on before he gives you a very reasonable uh you know take on things when he joins your show i mean he's a he's a homer guy right right when it comes to media and that it's been very successful for him mm-hmm. he doesn't hide the fact that he's an a&m guy right but he's really good about talking about the issues well speaking of that texas and oklahoma coming 
I mean, how excited are you for that? And do you think that's good for uh, it, it may not be good for college football as a whole, but I think it's outstanding for the SEC and, and the fans and everything. What, what's your thoughts on all that? Well, it makes it where there's already really no off week in the SEC, right? There's just yeah. no no game you can let your guard down. Uh, Tennessee and South Carolina is a good example of that this yep. year. But, I mean, there's always examples of that. Like, everybody's got talent. And now you bring in Texas and Oklahoma. Oklahoma, you know, arguably outside of the SEC and Ohio State, the best program in America, right, yeah. historically. Mm-hmm. One of those. And they've been very consistent. You bring in Texas, who, who's got the ability to get the best talent in America every single year. Bringing them in just makes that whole thing about no off week even more prevalent across the SEC. I love it. I like the idea of a, a, a pod division system that really pairs the old Southwest Conference together. And I get some of that, oh, well, why, you know, you want Texas to play Alabama and play Georgia and not just play the teams they played 15, 20 years ago regularly, right? But yeah. I do think that it's, it, it's important to bring those teams in, even if it's Missouri in Texas and Oklahoma, you know, going back to the Big 12. Mm-hmm. Uh, A&M Texas obviously is going to be a big deal, but when I say A&M Texas, I still don't think about that as an SEC matchup, right? <laughs> so it's just that's its own thing because of right, their history right. and, you know, going back to Southwest Conference then Big 12. So it's going to take some getting used to with both of those. I look forward to Arch Manning, you know, being in the SEC, but when I just think first blush, what are you looking forward to? Arch Manning being the Texas quarterback in a full SEC schedule yeah, really, really excites me. It's just hard to wrap my head around right now. And I think until we see it, I remember that 2012, I think, was first year with Missouri and A&M. Mm-hmm. You know, I go back to that and think, that that was, I remember A&M, I believe, hosted Florida in their first game in conference, and it was just so weird. Florida, I think, won that game they on did. the road at yeah. A&M. Um, that I was one Missouri, of the first Johnny Manziel games. Yeah, I want to say Missouri maybe hosted Georgia in their first game. or one of, Either way, I just remember watching those games, and I'm thinking, this is just – it's going to take some getting used to that they're in the conference now. I'm going to have to see it to get used to it also with, with Texas and Oklahoma. Yeah, have you been out to Austin yet? I've never been. Man, it's that's a fun – I just got back from there. Really? Spent a week down there. It's it's a big – I'm a big uh, c- uh, comedy fan. Yeah. And it's it's like blowing up aside from New York and L.A. It's That's like the, the best that's awesome. town in, in – I hear it's very Nashville-like too. That's what – Austin, it, Texas. It's like a bigger it's closest, Nashville. The closest to Nashville you're going to find. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's a great time. And, I mean, I know we, we kind of pride ourselves on like the barbecue around here. Man. It doesn't like touch yeah. down there. I, I would assume Texas barbecue probably <laughs> probably has us beat here in the state of Tennessee. Uh, I, I want to get to Austin. There are places, um, you know, Clay gets to do the big noon kickoff. Yeah. But he typically go. He doesn't go where those guys go. They're going normally Big 12 or Big 10 based on the tel- right, TV right. contracts. Mm-hmm. Clay gets to go around the SEC. But I see some of the places they go. You know, they were at in Austin for Alabama, Texas this year. Love to go there. I've been to Columbus, but I've never been for a game. Would love to go to Ann Arbor. There are spots outside the SEC I'm dying to go to. Uh, West Virginia is one that I always see, and I'm thinking that would be a cool spot to go see a game. That I, you know, I've never been to Morgantown. So there's so many places, so little time, but I'd love to get to some of these venues. You referenced, uh, you know, the, the pods, permanent rivals, and all that. I know we're both Tennessee guys, so I'm, I'm very curious to hear your thoughts. Who, who do you think? Let's assume SEC goes to nine games. Let's assume they go to the three permanents. Who 
does Chad Withrow want to see Tennessee play every year in the new SEC? I got crushed over this because I actually wrote an article. This is probably back in the spring when all this was going to happen. Uh-huh. And I just did my constant opponent. Like, this is every team's constant opponent. Um, and I wish I could remember all of them offhand, but I do know Tennessee's. So with the 6-3 model, I'm assuming that, nine games, mm-hmm. you know, six rotating, three constant opponents. That way you play every team every other year in conference. My three constants for Tennessee was Alabama, Kentucky, and Vandy. And everyone immediately said, well, you get two breaks. You know, that's nice for Tennessee. And I'm thinking, well, think about it. Vandy's biggest – I'm trying to also pair them up on the other side. Right. Vandy's biggest rival is Tennessee. You can argue Kentucky's biggest rival to them is Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Tennessee is a big – put the big bullseye on them every right, year right. with certain fan base. South Carolina – Tennessee's pretty high on the list of rivals, right? Mm-hmm. Tennessee's got a big rival with Florida and Georgia and Bama, too. So Tennessee-Bama, from an historical perspective, is important to me and I think important to the SEC. So I kept that. And then Kentucky and Vandy was more about, I think Kentucky and Vandy, it's important to those programs yeah. to have Tennessee on the schedule every single year. So those were the three. Now, I think with Alabama, I had Alabama, Tex- Alabama with Texas, Auburn, and maybe Mississippi State was the third one. So, you know, Alabama fans come out, well, that's nice. You know, we get Texas and Auburn, and you get Kentucky. <laughs> said, well, you also get Mississippi State. Right, you know, right. with everyone I tried to give, historically, we know these programs can rise up and be great too, yeah. but historically I give them at least one break. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone got one breather in the constant opponent based on history. So that was my plan for Tennessee. I'm curious to see how it goes and what they decide to do with these, but – I think that plan makes a lot of sense uh, for the Vols, and not just because I'm thinking about wins. I think it's so important for Kentucky and Vandy to keep playing Tennessee as much as it's important, I think, for Tennessee to keep playing Alabama. And I just think it's weird. So many Tennessee fans want to play Florida every year, but to me that that almost doesn't even feel like a rivalry anymore. Because not not that Florida has dominated, so I don't think Tennessee should play them anymore. But it's just that was that's almost like. We're thinking back to the glory years. That yeah. was that was the game of the year in the SEC. In the 90s, that was 20 it was a years great ago. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for a decade, right. with Spur and Fulmer, it was a great rivalry. And even then, Florida was controlling the, the series for the most part. But, yeah, I mean, think about it. You know, it wasn't a thing until the divisions. Right. Tennessee rarely played Florida mm-hmm. before 1992 when they split east and west. And then it became a, a huge deal. And it was more of sort of a – it was. It's big for Florida. Don't get me wrong, but it's more of like a, you know a blood feud right. on Tennessee's behalf that you're so tired of seeing. Even the years where Tennessee is better, yeah. them find a way to lose to inferior Florida teams, and there weren't a lot of years, you know, where they were. You could say they have a chance or they're better, and even when they did, they found a way to lose those games. So, I, I don't think Tennessee and Florida is that important. I, I, I'm with you. I'm fine with that happening every other year and sacrificing that if it moves in that direction. Yeah. Florida is one of those programs, and this is probably the Tennessee in me coming out. Uh, I just don't have a lot of respect for them, right? I, I know they win. I know they get talent. I know they've historically done well. I know Urban Meyer won two national titles and Steve Spurrier won one. But I view Florida as sort of new money right, in the right. SEC. Tennessee, Alabama is very old money to me. Even though Alabama dominates Tennessee up until this year, and I get bummed out having to see Nick Saban on the schedule every year, to me, that's an old money game, and I just don't respect Florida and their program to the same level, even though they pretty routinely beat Tennessee. 
call me a hater, call me whatever. That's just the way I view those programs. Yeah. Well, what's your thoughts on um, this? The job Josh Heupel's done because I don't, you know, obviously everyone got caught up in, in how great Tennessee was just last season, but I don't. I think we just have such a short-term memory that we forget that when he came in there. I mean, my God, what was it like? Twenty-five transfers out. It it was a it was a, a dumpster fire. Literally, they were like eighteen under the scholarship limit or twenty in his first year. Right, and now, yeah. given the fact that he's such a an offensive-minded coach, a quarterback, that that's where the game is at right now. I mean, I don't think it's a stretch to say he is probably a top ten coach in the country. And this is coming from a guy where, if we're being honest, about half the fan base was like, "I don't want this damn guy." Oh, the moment more, he got I'd hired, say more you know, than half honestly. <laughs> I mean, let, let's be real about it. I think half the fan base was like. Eh, let's wait and see. You know, it seems like he has good offense. Yeah. And the other half was saying, this sucks. This is Danny White hiring his buddy. Yeah. We struck out on Mike Gundy again. You know, we can't get anyone to James come in here Franklin and take this job. Was, was James popular. Franklin was one who I believe legitimately would have taken it had Tennessee given him everything that he wanted. I can understand why Tennessee wouldn't quite want to give him, you know, Nick Saban money to right. come and the, the power and the, the authority that he wanted. So, look, it it all's well that ends well. It, it worked out. I was in the 50% that said, let's wait and see. I refuse to be excited about this hire. I'm not bummed out about it. I think the guy can coach offense. So let's see if the offense is good enough to cover up some warts. And boy, has it ever been good enough to cover up some warts. I don't think even the most optimistic Tennessee fan could have expected this by right. year two, right? I mean, this is beyond belief how well he's done in Knoxville so far. And I also look at it and think they're set up. I think they're, you know, sixth in the power rankings coming into this year with what we saw with Joe Milton's improvement in the bowl game. I'm optimistic. He's going to carry that over Mm -hmm. and they're still going to score a ton of points. They're going to be good on offense. Can the defense get a little bit better? They don't have to be a ton better, get a little bit better, get a few more stops, get a few more turnovers. If you can do that, you could probably have a similar season to this past season. If you're Tennessee, the one thing that I will say that's really, I don't know if disheartening is the word, but it's sobering if you're a Tennessee fan is that they had all the success this year. Things went very well. Things broke right in a couple of close games. Broke very wrong in the Georgia and the South Carolina game, but for the most part, broke your way. And they still finished like 10th in the country in recruiting. You know, and that's like, what, fourth in the SEC or fifth or whatever it is. And I'm thinking, that's really good. Like, if you're in the top 15, you're doing something right. Yeah. But if you're reasonably thinking Tennessee's going to get to the point of uh, Georgia or Alabama, and you see Georgia and Alabama one or two in some order every single year with all these five-star guys, it's hard to expect to beat them. Right. You know, are you going to go back and beat Alabama and Tuscaloosa this year? Probably not, based on their level of talent. Could happen. You know, they, they could score a bunch of points again and win that game. But I look at that and think, this is great. Tennessee fans should be excited about, you know, I think eight being the baseline now of the season and 11 or 12 being the ceiling. That's really good. But to be really, really good, national championship good in this conference with their schedule, playing those two teams every year in Alabama and Georgia, I don't know how you can reasonably expect that's going to happen anytime soon with this program because they're just not going to out-recruit them. I think they really got fucked when um... – that contract for Nico got yeah. released because then now that not that there's anything wrong with it. Hell, I support it because if, if he's if 
you know, I don't want to put a, a label on him, but, you know, let's say he's Cam Newton or, or Joe Burrow or Tim Tebow, whatever. He's worth every penny. That's not my issue. My issue is every recruit in the country saying, you're paying $8 million? Like, yep. I want $5 million. I yep. want $4 million. I'm a five-star. And I, I think that – I think that really fucked them. They saw they saw this, right? Yeah. It's like, boy, Tennessee's out here doing business. Because they They're were making deals. They were so. in it with with a ton of five stars. That's at a that program point. we're going to. Now. They didn't get any of them, and this is just me without inside knowledge. But I think that that certainly played a factor. Well, the, so the business model is interesting because the guys on campus are making money, right? That have done well. That Spire Spire's ahead of the game, and I know the guys over there well. And I'm not saying that just because I know them and like them personally. But they are cutting edge in terms of how they view it. And the deals they've been able to do for, for current student-athletes, which is great. This whole thing is supposed to be about current student-athletes. Right. You get there, you have a little bit of fame, have a little bit of success, you're going to make money from local businesses or national businesses. Right. Spire's gotten those guys money. From the recruiting angle, I agree with you that a figure being reported of $2 million a year to a quarterback is not a good thing. I'll also argue that at the five-star quarterback position, it may be money well spent. Yeah. And Nico's career will reset the market one way or the other. So if Nico comes in and by year two or even halfway through this season, he's starting and he looks like Cam Newton on the field and Tennessee's competing for SEC championships and national championships in his three years there, we're all going to look back and say, damn, that $2 million a year was really well spent. Right. Uh, happy with that. Spire's going to look at it and probably say, that – Money was well spent. Great job. We'll do that again. Then you load up the next five-star. And you go find, all right, go to Josh Heupel. Who is the game-changing guy you guys have to have for this offense and who can really excel in this offense? Go get that guy and keep keep it going that way. And it's also about roster valuation. You're not giving everyone $2 million a year. But if you want to overly invest in quarterback, especially in a, a system like this that's so dependent on the quarterback, I'm fine with that. Other guys are going to get paid, but you know you're not going to go pay the 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 edge rusher, you know, a million a year that another program might because you're way more concerned about quarterback. Right. So how this works out, one way or the other, will reset it. It'll either confirm what Tennessee has done, and they're going to go after the next guy for two point five million mm-hmm. a year over four years, or they're not going to have the success they wanted. Nico's not going to be as good as expected, and they're going to have to rethink some things on how they divvy out their money. So it's going to be a fun experiment one way or the other. Well, I think we got another fun experiment at Ole Miss with Lane Kiffin because I don't know how committed he is really to high school recruiting. Now they got the outstanding running back, Judkins, so we can't just say he's completely overlooking it, but clearly he's investing more in the transfer portal with the NIL. And I think that's smart because even the, the biggest diehard Ole Miss fan knows we're not going to beat Alabama – LSU, A&M, Georgia for these recruits in high school. Yeah. But we can get a quarterback from Oklahoma State, a quarterback from Southern Cal, a receiver from Louisiana Tech, on and on and on, give them whatever they want. It, it's just – he calls it free agency because that's exactly what it is. Kiffin has that NFL background, and I, I think that's I think that's the only play for a school like Ole Miss. And I'm not knocking it because he, he's won, I think, 18 games the last two years. Yeah. I think every Ole Miss fan has got to be happy with that. I, I know they weren't happy with how last season ended. But I think Ole Miss, as long as he can keep it running, I think they're in contention. Uh, what's your thoughts on that strategy? I think it's brilliant. 
and even with Judkins, you know, the running back you mentioned, I feel like he was sort of overlooked by, you know, yeah. in-state schools. I think he was a uh, three-star. Yeah, but he was more of like, hey, come here and you can try to play running back, which you might be a DB or, yeah. you know, there was a lot of that talk with him also. Now he has popped and been terrific. So my point is even, you know, that was more of a diamond in the rough yeah. than a lot of other guys. No one expected to be that good that quickly, but Kiffin got that out of him at Ole Miss. I think the pro- programs like Ole Miss, as a g- great example, you got to be really fantastic at something. So if it's transfer portal, if it's uh, – I think of um, uh, of Kermit Davis, who got fired mm-hmm. uh, as we're recording this at Ole Miss. At MTSU, he was great about the one and done on the opposite end. He would get the fifth-year guy who was unhappy at an SEC school or a Big E school. They'd come into MTSU their last year, and they would dominate in that conference. So it was the reverse one and done. He had a guy come in, add it to his roster. They did really well, got to NCAA tournaments, beat Michigan State. He was the master at that. We've seen programs be the master at the European recruit. We saw Rick Pitino in basketball dominate New York inner city kids, you know, and get them in from from inner city New York to Louisville or wherever he was and do really well recruiting there. So finding a pipeline is important. So Lane Kiffin finding the disgruntled quarterback is one interesting route, right? Because he is sort of a quarterback whisperer. Yeah. But overall, being able to find guys who, for whatever reason, either perform well and fell out of favor with their school or didn't perform to the level they want, identifying that talent, almost like having a pro personnel department in the NFL. You have your own college scouting department that's looking at people all over the country, bringing them in giving them a new new start at Ole Miss. I think it fits well with Kiffin's personality and, and what he does as a coach. So I think it's brilliant, and it's probably the best way for them to succeed. Yeah, and I've also heard him say once they transfer in, not that they're stuck, but it's like they've already used that free transfer. So yeah. that it's almost more attractive than a high school kid like a Judkins who they had to fight just to keep him on the roster this offseason. I, I can't imagine the offers he had. But you don't I, have to re-recruit them as hard. <laughs> exactly. Right, as other exactly. Guys. I really uh, am curious to hear your thoughts because how long have you lived in Nashville? Ba- basically your whole life, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I grew up in Mount Juliet, yeah, uh, yeah. just east of Nashville, and went to UT for four years, moved back, and I've been in middle. I've been in different places in Middle Tennessee, but I've been in Middle Tennessee, Nashville my whole life. Is Vanderbilt ever going to take football seriously? I mean, what what the hell is going on there? I mean, if they're not going to take it seriously with Clark Lee, they're never going to take it seriously. Yeah. Right? I mean, this is a guy who has seen success at its highest levels at Notre Dame as defensive coordinator. He knows what it takes to win at an academically-minded institution. He is a Nashvillian. He's a Middle Tennessean like we are. I mean, he played at NBA. He played at Vanderbilt. He knows what it takes to build a – and it, it is building – you know, you got to build a program at Vanderbilt and sustain it. Um, I I would be so pissed off if I'm a Vanderbilt fan about the lack of commitment. Now, I know that the ground is being broken on some things on campus right now. That's a great sign. Yeah. But with all the money coming into the SEC, the fact it's taken this long is malpractice by the university. I know there's people in athletics that want more to happen, but quite frankly, when they sign up for those jobs, they adhere to the university and they become a puppet for the university and their lack of commitment to it. Right. Look, I'm fine with you thinking you're an Ivy League school and you're the Ivy League of the South. Great. It's a very competitive, very good academic school. You're in the SEC. If you're going to take an SEC check, 
and you're going to do these things and you want to play at the highest levels and you want to remain in the conference and accept their money, you have to reinvest that athletic money back into mm-hmm. one, football, two, men's basketball. You reinvest in the sports that make money first. Tim Corbin has done a terrific job. Tim Corbin does almost everything on his own. He is a one-man athletic department over baseball. He does his fundraising. No one says no to him because he just does it and gets the funding on his own, right? I mean, he is the CEO of all things Vanderbilt baseball. It shouldn't be that way. No. Right? I'm sure if Clark Lee could, he would. You know, if he had that kind of success, he would just go ahead and take the reins and do it himself. But those coaches there, they can't do it themselves forever. And not everyone's going to have the success of Tim Corbin to have the clout to do exactly what they want. Until they get serious about it, it's just going to be more of the same. I mean, and no one's going to show up. Because there's, no re- there's no reason, is there, that they can't be Northwestern of the Big Ten or Stanford of the Pac? I know those. N- no reason at all. Yeah. Duke football. Right, I mean, right. look what Mike Elko did. Look what David Cutcliffe did for years there. I mean, give me a break. Um, if they schedule properly, it's a team that goes to a bowl every year. Yeah. Right? I mean, if you, if you I've always said schedule light. Maybe get a Duke or a Wake Forest or a Stanford or Northwestern on the schedule. Uh-huh. But that is your toughest non-conference game if you're going to do that. Get you three other wins. Right now you get three other wins than non-conference. Win you a couple of SEC games at least. Get to a bowl. Make things exciting. Do something different, whether it be the triple option, whether it be a Mike Leach-style uh, passing offense. Do something different at Vanderbilt. Turn that football stadium into the Cameron Indoor Stadium of football. What Duke has done, smaller, students on top of the field, nice luxury boxes around for the the wealthier donor. Mm -hmm. Do these things at Vanderbilt, and and you could sustain a 6-6, 7-5 type program with the off chance that every four or five years when you hit it right with a veteran quarterback, you get nine or ten wins. Mm -hmm. And if you do that at Vandy, that's a great success story. I mean, they're not expecting the world. They're not expecting to compete for the SEC title. They just want confidence. They want to feel like they have a, a puncher's chance every Saturday when they go into a game. So the bar is low as it is. Go over that bar and then keep it there. Fanny should be trying to do that. What, what are your thoughts on Billy Napier after a, a rough debut? And I don't know if I believe it. Cause you can't believe any of these damn mock drafts and all this bullshit. But Anthony Richardson recently... I don't believe that at all. Number one pick. Will Levis also number one. I'm sure we'll talk about that, but I just complete. It's nuts. (laughs) He probably will be a first rounder. Yeah. Perhaps. But the fact that they went six and six with a first round quarterback, um, just lost three assistants, about half, well, not a half, probably about 20% of the the, the roster hit the portal this this offseason. Do you think Billy Napier is the right guy for Florida? Let me start by saying I would draft Hendon Hooker over Levis or Richardson if I were drafting. I know people probably aren't going to agree with that, and NFL GMs won't, but we'll see yeah. what happens with their career. But I would draft him first. Billy Napier's off to a bad start. You know, He loses his, what, 32-year-old defensive coordinator to go join Jonathan Gannon in Arizona in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Um, you had clearly a situation where guys are sort of being run off. Mm-hmm. I think that was more his decision than theirs throughout the season. Rough first year. Uh, recruiting was up and down. He's done some really good things in recruiting. But the Jaden Rashada thing being so public yeah. just doesn't help him at all. right? I don't care whose fault it is. If it's Rashada and his dad, if it's the Gator Collective, whatever. When you back out of an agreement and a signed contract and it's Florida that's the representative and he was supposed to play at Florida, that is not good. 
Right. So uh, that's a bad stain for Florida football. I think he's a really good coach. Seems like a really smart guy. But they're off to a rough start. And we know this at Florida. I mean, Dan Mullen was a year removed from almost winning the SEC title and gets fired because things go really south in one year, right? Mm -hmm. If it's not drastically better this year, and I'm not going to put a win total on what that looks like, but if it's not a lot better this year, there will be people calling for his head two years in. Florida is spoiled with success to a large degree. And I get it. I mean, where they're located, where they can recruit from, and they've had so much success before, they want more of it. And if he's not giving it to them, it's going to get ugly. And it doesn't help that Georgia's winning national championship after national championship. Tennessee and South Carolina look to be on the rise. See, that's the difference now, I think, with Tennessee and Florida. Tennessee fans, for the most part, look at Georgia and they think, damn, that just sucks. There's not much we can do. Right? Georgia finally figured it out. Tennessee, for years, feasted on – you know, Jim Donnan <laughs> and Ray Goff and like guys who just weren't great at right, coaching, right. right? Once Georgia figured it out, everyone knew this is going to be really hard to beat because the way Atlanta grew, the way that state grew, yeah, where they could pick, just cherry pick the best athletes in America from their backyard, it was going to be tough. And now Kirby Smart's there and it's almost impossible to see them losing anytime soon. Tennessee fans look at that and think, well, Georgia's probably an L until they slump or Kirby Smart leaves or something happens. Yeah. Florida looks at that and say, we're better than Georgia. We're in the state of Florida. We have better athletes. We've had better success in the recent past. We need to be better than Georgia. I think it's a different mindset. Not that Tennessee fans are defeatist and don't ever want to win a national title again, but I do think Tennessee fans, shockingly enough, have become a little bit more reasonable over the years because they've been beaten down by circumstances, and they look at it and say, hey, this 11-2 and two year was really damn good. Let's keep that rolling and not concern ourselves as much with Georgia as staying ahead of Florida or staying ahead of other teams in the SEC, whereas Florida looks at Georgia and says, we should be that next year. Yeah. There's no excuse that we can't, that Billy Napier should not give that to us a year from now, and that's that could get Billy Napier in trouble. Yeah, and Nick Saban, I believe, famously said Georgia is the best job in the country. Yep. Um, and that was before Kirby took it over. But uh, and he's not wrong. It, I mean, no. not, I would argue Alabama is because of history. You got to combine the history with it, also. Right. But I mean, if you want to look ge- geographically, he's probably right. Well, Alabama won't be the top job when he leaves because I think that's going to be like the worst job following him. So, so that's why I wanted to ask you next: How long do you think uh, Nick Saban keeps coaching? And I've always been, you know. I've been kind of waiting for him to retire to make the SEC more competitive. Now I want him to hold on because I now I've seen Georgia. It's swung to Georgia. Now it's uncompetitive because Georgia's dominating. Yep. Like we need we need King Kong and Godzilla. Yes. We, we don't want just yes. one, you know? Yes, Battle of the Titans, for sure. Clash <laughs> the Titans. Um, I, I mean, I'm convinced the man coaches right up until death, honestly. <laughs> Like, I just think he's kind of a Paterno-type guy. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, he doesn't want to do anything else. I mean, he's talked about it. He's like, I don't. I like to go on my boat on the lake, but he doesn't have a ton of other interests that he wants to go and do all the time. Do you know he's older now than Bear Bryant when, when Bryant died? And he look. I mean, he looks like yeah, he's look, 45, I mean, he 50. Great. You know? health, health looks really good. I mean, the guy is going to coach as long as he wants. I, I just I, – I, I can't even put a time frame on it because I think he's going to coach for a while. And I agree with you. I think the guy who follows Saban is in for – so my, my solution would be find, like, an assistant. doesn't have to be a coordinator. 
that's been with him the longest mm -hmm. and sort of do the Bill Guthridge thing with Dean Smith at North Carolina yeah. and elevate that. It says, don't go big. Don't go look outside. Dabo's not going to do it. Don't go look at a former assistant who's a head coach somewhere else. Elevate that. See if you can keep it rolling by keeping the staff together. Spend a ton of money on your staff, all right, with whoever they want to bring in. See if that works. Then if it doesn't work, that's when you go big. Right? When that, that ends, that's where you go for the next Nick Saban, whether that guy be in the NFL or be somewhere else. Then you go for your big name hire after that assistant is elevated. Yeah. What's your thoughts on Hugh Freeze making it clawing his way back to the SEC now at Auburn? And, and after all the scandal and everything, it's hard to argue. He's at a better job than he was at when you're talking about winning big. He could win a national championship. It's amazing how much play he gets for beating Nick Saban. I mean, that's a credit to Nick Saban, right? Two years in a row he beat Nick Saban, and he had years where they disappointed yeah. based on expectation and based on talent. They lost some really bad games based on their talent level. He has more losses to Vanderbilt, or, or the equal losses to Vanderbilt as wins over Alabama. Again, like, it's isn't it crazy that that carries his career so much, right? Yeah. He, did, he did well at Liberty. He's a good offensive coach. Um. I see it as kind of a okay hire at Auburn, right? I mean, it makes sense based on what they want, based on the fact that he's beaten Saban twice and that's their chief rival. Uh -huh. But um, I, I got no issue. I mean, I think enough time has passed from the scandal. I'm not going to be the you know moral authority over all that and say he shouldn't coach again. I think he's paid his penance. He went to Liberty, set out, went to Liberty, did well there. He should be able to be back in the SEC. I just don't. When you look at the SEC now, especially when Texas and Oklahoma join, I just don't look at Hugh Freeze at Auburn as some threatening thing. right? When Kirby Smart got to Georgia and started recruiting that way, we said, oh boy, that's a threat. Yeah, This is, this is a problem when he got there. Um, I don't look at Hugh Freeze as a big problem. I think he'll do fine. They're going to score more points. They'll be better on offense, certainly better than Brian Harson. Mm -hmm. Better cultural fit, recruiting, offense, everything. But I don't look at Hugh Freeze at Auburn and, and get really worried about what's going to happen. Brian Kelly at LSU is another example, I thought. They'll be really good quickly. You know, he is a great CEO of a program. So he's going to hire the right recruiters. They're going to get all the players from Louisiana. And they're going to be a national force relatively quickly. I never got that sense from the Hugh Freeze hire. Right or wrong, I don't think, I don't think it's going to blow up to the level that he's a true threat in the SEC. I think they're going to win more games. They're going to score more points, but he's never going to be a true threat. What did you think of uh, Jimbo hiring Bobby Petrino? Jimbo's never hired a coordinator, offensive coordinator, play caller in his life. This is clearly, a, I don't want to call it a desperation move, but that's kind of what it is. You're bringing in a guy to fix what you're supposed to be in charge of, quarterbacks, play calling. It's been awful there in College Station. Apologies, Billy Lucci. I'm just telling it like it is. Yeah. Do, do you think this – saves because because a&m's got all the talent all the potential in the world and now with texas coming in that just increases the pressure i would think on jimbo he's got to get this right there's no in between on this hire so it's either the best thing ever or the worst thing ever and here's what i mean by that those personalities are going to clash like you hired a guy i believe it's older than you in bobby petrino who's as established as you are as a head coach in his past and Jimbo Fisher has a very strong personality and likes to run things his way. He's not going to be able to boss around Bobby Petrino. So you bring in Bobby Petrino, I think it's a good sign of humility 
from Jimbo Fisher, and he needed this, bring someone in to fix the offense that he couldn't fix. Let him run the offense. If he does that, I mean, Petrino's a hell of a coordinator and a play caller. They've got the talent to be really good, so I think it'll work well. It's the worst thing ever if Jimbo Fisher and Bobby Petrino just can't work together. You know, Jimbo's in his ear, yelling at him constantly. They're bitching each other in the locker room after the game. Players are getting divided because they're not united on things. That would be the worst-case scenario. So if Jimbo's willing to hand over the offense truly to him and let him run it and not interfere too much, and not I mean, he's going to have to be his boss too, but not fly off the handle at every third and two that doesn't work, right? right. If he's able to do that, I think it's really going to work. If not, those two are going to butt heads, and it's going to be more and more of what we saw a year ago, which was – I mean, ask any A&M fan, epic failure a year ago. Other than the last game of the year, epic failure for that program. What do you think about uh, Shane Beamer at South Carolina? You know, it's been a roller coaster. I mean, they many people were – I don't want to say they wanted him fired, but, I mean, that was an embarrassing, embarrassing loss. They got blown out by Florida. And program in the dumps, and then immediately – just destroy Tennessee, which was headed to the playoff, beats Clemson at Clemson, which was headed to the playoff. Like, this does not compute. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, what it, the, the offseason hype train uh, once again rolling for the Gamecocks. Do you think uh, South Carolina has a great team this year? Well, like the year before, he pretty much got uh, Dan Mullen fired. Right. Right. In the reverse of that, uh, we interviewed Shane Beamer a couple weeks ago. Really fun guy. You know, interesting guy to talk to for sure. Some don't like his antics. I, I think he loves to, as he said, keep receipts, he said, with us. Yeah. You know, with, with Mark Stoops and others that say things. That's just sort of his personality. Uh-huh. And he's like, you have to let roll with this Yeah, if you're in our position because there's going to be so much trash talk in this conference. And I, I think if you're a fan of South Carolina, you love it. Oh, yeah. And if you hate South Carolina, you hate it. And I, and I think that works for him. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I, I think his fan base has his back. Yeah. And he's got the right demeanor for it. And he's... He's the type that can do it and then back it up. Or if he doesn't, I, I think he's got the right demeanor to handle it well when he's having fun, right? Right. Um, Beamer ball for years with his dad was special teams play, block punts, block kicks, all those things. Beamer ball under Shane, to me, is they suck and then they're awesome, right? Like we've seen this now twice where I, I think of Beamer ball under South Carolina as Boy, the moment you think this team is done and they've quit, they're going to have some Herculean effort. Spencer Rattler is going to – I mean, Spencer Rattler looked like Aaron Rodgers, you know, in that game against – I had not – no one could have seen that coming. He was perfect. Hats off to him. He was great in that one game. I mean, that was all the promise that he had ever been handed. He delivered in that game against Tennessee. Um, That, to me, is Beamer ball now. The the previous year, they, they were terrible. They go to Knoxville, get blown out. They look bad early in the year. They get it going late. He gets Mullen fired. You know, they go to a bowl game, and they whoop up on North Carolina mm-hmm. in, in the, the the game in Charlotte. This year, same thing. You know, they're kind of stumbling along. They blow. It's just it's crazy how, to me, Shane Beamer ball equals the moment you think they're terrible, they're going to rise up and do something. Now, the key for Shane Beamer is, if you're really going to take the next step, is avoid looking terrible. For that period of time, or avoid looking terrible in those games if you're going to compete truly with Georgia, Florida, Tennessee, 
consistently in that division or the other top teams in the conference, you've got to avoid that look also. It, I think he can do it. I mean, he's recruiting well. Um, players seem to like him. They did lose quite a bit in the transfer portal. But I think a lot of teams of South Carolina's standing will do that. Mm-hmm. But he was able to add a lot more talent. I, I like what he's done so far. What will your reaction be when the Titans trade up into the top five? No oh, God. To draft Will Levis oh, to be the next quarterback. Look, I, I think it would be possibly you know the worst thing to happen uh, to this city since I, I don't know when Jake Locker was drafted. Um, there's been some bad moves by the Titans, but that would be an all-time bad. Here's my thing with Will Levis: if your chief thing about him is man, he's got the body for it, or he's got the physical tools, I'm thinking. Is this a bicep? Are we measuring biceps? This the con- Do you watch him in games? Right. I mean, he's not bad. I don't want to make this to, like Will Levis is terrible. He was a good quarterback at times for Kentucky. I think it's so overblown. I think as much as uh, their offensive coordinator, Scarangelo, right, this year was terrible, mm-hmm. I think Liam Cohen was so good that it also made him look a lot better than he was. So I think the truth is somewhere in the middle yeah. with Will Levis. Here's what I see with him. He's, he makes really bad decisions at times with what to do with the football. Um, he's not always terribly accurate with the ball in games that I've watched. And I watch his film, even with Liam Cohen, and I think, he's not Hendon Hooker. I mean, I, I, I got myself to this. I never thought of Hendon Hooker as a great pro until I watch more and more. And I'm thinking, what is the knock other than he's 24, about to be 25? You know, he's six foot four, 220 pounds. He runs well. He doesn't take off and run too quickly. He's accurate. He throws a good deep ball. You're never going to have to worry about him getting in trouble. He's a great leader. He's smart. And I, I compare that to Will Levis, and he doesn't have all of those, those traits. So, look, he's going to be a first-round pick. I think he's more of a project than, you know, a day-one starter franchise mm-hmm. guy. But you draft him in the first round, you're drafting him to be that. I just don't see it. Maybe he's a good backup in the league. Maybe he turns out to have a really good career, and I'm, you know, we're playing this back years from now, and I look like an idiot. I just, I don't see it. I've watched him at Kentucky. I've watched all their games for the most part. I, I don't see it with them. All right, last thing for you, Chad. I really appreciate yeah. all your time. Cheers, man. SEC meetings yeah. coming to Nashville. Do you have any information on on any kind of events or anything that that they're going to do? Because why? I mean, this is a great city. I'm not knocking it. But why even hold it here if they're not going to do, like, some big display? And, and, and hell, I, th- I wish it was here every year, selfishly, but I can't think of a better city in the South to have it in. Uh, SEC Media Days, do you, do you know of anything being proposed? I know they were they were planning on doing, like, a fan day event back in 2020 before yeah, COVID I, hit. I don't know of anything. And, I, and, I, and to your question, I don't know why they don't do more yeah. around this event. So it's going to be at the Grand Hyatt, right. one of the newer hotels downtown. Because it really uh, is the it's like the kickoff yeah. of football. But I mean, even when it's in Hoover, you know, all it is is you know, Bama fans going to the lobby and try to get a photo right. or an autograph, you know, from people. Um, that's really all that it is. You you see fans lined up wanting to get autographs. That's it. I don't know why they don't do more. I feel like this is something that the schools should try to do their own thing around media days. So especially in Nashville, you know, we just talked about Shane Beamer in South Carolina. South Carolina comes in for their day. Well, that night. They have an event for Nashville, South Carolina fans. You're in a big enough city now where every fan base will have a good showing. 
So you get a bar on Broadway or you go up to the Mumbrian or you go somewhere in Nashville and have events around it. So how cool would it be if the night you have four teams show up, you have four different bars on Broadway or Second Avenue or whatever that are all team themed Mm -hmm. where the coach and the players show up, they speak, you have a pep rally, you have a party for those teams, do something extra around your teams that are rolling through. Have some sort of SEC basketball tournament will be here in Nashville. They've got the plaza. You know, they've got more themed stuff around downtown. I understand that's an actual sporting event as opposed to a conference, you know, a media conference, which is SEC Media Days. But I just feel like they could do so much more in Nashville. You can't really do that in a mall in Hoover, and I've been there a lot of years, right? I mean, I don't know what you would do there, but if you're going to move it to Nashville, to me it seems – it seems like the thing you wouldn't want to do is to not make it more Nashville right. and do more events around it, right? It defeats the purpose yeah. if you're going to do that. So, And I, this I city is I don't get it. all set up to host these fans. Well, and, and it's all set up to host. Bars. Again, it's, you don't have to bring fans in. Right. Nashville's big enough now where every – Ole Miss, Mississippi State, A&M, there's enough fans of those fan bases here living in Middle Tennessee. They can all come out and party and have a good time. Yeah. Before you go, Chad, can you tell us, tell the audience, where's the easiest place to find all your work? Follow me on Twitter at the Chad Withrow, Outkick 360, the show I host. It's a, a nationally syndicated radio show. We're on digital every day. Outkick 360 on YouTube. Outkick 360 on Twitter. You can follow us there. Um, yeah, we do a Tennessee Power Hour during football season. Yeah. As well as me and Jonathan Hunt, it's just all Vols and Titans. So um, if you search Chad Withrow, you can probably find us. But Outkick 360, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time, weekdays. That's where you'll find me. All right. Well, I, I can't thank you enough for coming in. This I, has I been really fun, do appreciate man. Anytime. it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure.